From the closest things to the remotest How has no one noticed? I have no idea I have no idea Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, national columnist for NBC Sports, and with me as always, Michael Shore, executive producer for Brooklyn Nine-Nine and so many other things. Michael, great to have you. You know, as always, Joe, <laughs> I'd like to begin by saying thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have anyone else. In fact, I haven't. I haven't had anybody else. Because it's your show, too. So I don't know why we do this every week. But, but I love that I get to do that. Of course, you got to do it last time uh, as I made my Yankee uh, apology. So That's right. It's been that long. It's been a while since we've uh, since we've done this. And and by the way, in the time that we've done it, um, Yankees fell apart. I, I, I just want to say that. I just want to say Yankees completely. I don't think Yankee fans could, even though, even though it was a surprising season, the way that they just like fell apart in that one game playoff tells me they 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 left unhappy. I think it's because of your apology. Is that what you're suggesting? Because <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that. Y- yes, it is. My my yeah. my apology directly influenced the Yankees uh, because they tailed off completely and then had no chance in the playoffs. So. Right. You 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 had predicted their failure, which is against the laws of nature and physics and and time space. Space time, right. and uh, and then and then, so they they had an amazing year, and then as soon as you apologized, it was over for them. There was no way they could come back from that. So then they they folded up like a like a cheap tent. Like a cheap and so tent. I'm just gonna right now. It's only December. I'm gonna right now request that you don't predict their demise at the beginning of next year and just save us all a lot of trouble. Yeah. Well, it it was a very very late escape. It was kind of a Mission Impossible escape at the end. So yeah, I don't want to put us in that position again. So right now. Predicting 100-win season for the Yankees. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> go completely the other way. Yeah. All right. So, uh, as always, faux argument and uh, our draft. Our faux argument uh, today is sort of a technical one. We're going with numbers uh, in our faux argument this week. Uh, and the faux argument is very specific. What do we end up with? What, what is, ends up being the higher number? The number of Golden State Warrior victories in this magical season uh, right. where they won their first 22 in a row. They are playing uh, number 23 as we speak, so we're not going to discuss that. Um, or Los Angeles Lakers losses. So those are the two numbers that we have. And the question is, which of those numbers will be higher at the end of the year? Here's what I think. I think the answer to that question depends on one man, and his name is Byron Scott. <laughs> because <laughs> the Lakers are a bad team. Bad. Um, they're very bad. They're bad at basketball. Their players are bad at basketball. And they're currently playing Kobe Bryant about 31 minutes a night. And he's having one of what may end up being the worst shooting season in the history of the league. <laughs> he shoots. He shot 2 of 15 the other night. 
He, I mean, it's it's really amazing. And for, as a person who doesn't like the Lakers, frankly, it's delightful to watch. <laughs> and it's extra delightful to be living in Los Angeles and hearing Michael Thompson talk on the radio. It's great. Um, but I the, the the amazing thing, the most amazing thing about the Lakers is Byron Scott and his continual embracing of a philosophy that is the – it's hard to explain it. It's the opposite of – sort of truth like it's not just that it's like oh i have one philosophy of how you should play basketball and you have another one and you know to each his own his is 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 every analytic every way of looking at the game proves conclusively that the what he is doing as as the manager of the team is terrible he he is a guy who loves nothing more than the 20 foot two-point jumper (laughs) it's like that's it's like he is coaching his team to only take very long, low percentage two-pointers. And everywhere you look, all over basketball, there are teams that are basically only taking, you know, uncontested threes or corner threes and or layups and dunks. And those teams are winning at a very high rate. And and his team has won, what, twice all year or something, <laughs> three times all year. It's very interesting that he still has a job. It led me to to posit the other day on Twitter that this is a sort of, the producer's style tanking where it's not just about tanking the season to get like a high draft choice. It's literally like they're, they sold 7,000% of the franchise in order to make money. And then they have to make the franchise itself worthless in order to uh, wipe out all of their potential debt. That's the only possible conclusion you can come to when you look at the way Byron Scott is coaching the team, how many minutes he's playing Kobe every night. And by the way, the fact that he's got a lot of, pretty talented or at least potentially talented rookies and young guys on the team that he is refusing to play. He is not playing. He didn't even start Russell the other night. He right. doesn't, he's not playing these guys. The only thing that good that can come out of a season like this, when you've got an aging star who is well past his prime coming off major injuries and is just basically on his victory lap. The only good that can come of a season that's doomed like this one was is that you develop your young players for the future. And he doesn't even seem to be interested in doing that. And I have no possible... Do you have any explanation for what he is doing, Byron Scott? Give me anything to hang on to, anything. No, I, I, I don't. I love the, I love the, the whole producer's you know, lineup. I, I, I don't have any other thing. But, but I have to say, with the Lakers, what's so great about them is that there's so many... There's so many elements of how bad they are and how horrendous they are to watch. And and I, I really think that my favorite one is that Kobe Bryant, who, you know what? I don't hate Kobe Bryant. I, I, I The guy has been an unbelievable basketball player. He's brought me personally great joy in watching him play. Sure. Uh, when he's, when he was on, uh, you know, when he was on, I don't know, even if Jordan, Certainly Jordan was a better player, but when Mike, when Kobe was like, had that look in his eye and he was just going to flat go out and score, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a player quite like that in, in my entire life. Yeah. The guy has shot 137 three point shots. 130. He's made 30 of them. He's yeah. shooting 21%, and he's, he's still going. And I love that for a lot of reasons, but my favorite reason is that there's some trigger in Kobe's head that won't turn off like he knows he's old and he knows he can't play anymore and 
you know, he's retired and he's 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 you know been very very emotional. He, he wrote that that cool little basketball poem, all these things. But he steps out of the court and his brain's like, "You're still shoot, keep shooting. You're 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 good. The next one's going in for sure." And I, yeah, I think it's actually more than that. I, I I have a theory about this. I read this story about Rich Gannon a long time ago uh, in the in the the year that the Raiders went to the Super Bowl and got blown out by Tampa Bay. And Rich Gannon had a great year. He may have been MVP that year. Yeah, he was pretty close to an MVP that year. Yeah, and I read this story about. Uh, how let's say um, fiery he was, right? <laughs> so he, they had this really you know specific kind of you know complicated uh, timing based offense. And I read this thing that they had like option routes, you know that all the receivers had option routes. And sometimes in a game, if one of his receivers ran the wrong route, Gannon would intentionally throw the ball to where the receiver should have been. <laughs> Like, and it would be like a weird, he was throwing it to no one, incomplete, you know, nine-yard pass that just bounced on the ground. And then just, like, stare at the guy as he walked back to the huddle. And it was like, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I believe it is. And, and there's something, it was like, he, it was more important to him that he kind of, like, like, like show that guy that he was wrong than it was to gain, like, four yards, right, you know? Right, right. I feel like that's a little bit of what Kobe is doing. He's, it's more important to him that he go out just firing up crazy shots the way he always has and playing one-on-one like hero ball. And it doesn't, he doesn't really care, I don't think, whether he makes these shots or not. He knows his team isn't making the playoffs. He knows you know, no one's going. This is his last hurrah, basically, and he's not going to get cheated out of his shots. Like He's a guy who takes 20 shots a game or you know, 25 shots a game or whatever, and gosh darn it, he's going to take them. And he, I don't, I honestly don't know that he cares whether they go in. That's my theory. I, I love that theory. You know that Gannon story reminds me. Uh, Do you ever hear the the Dan Marino story? And and I, you know, I've I've been meaning for years to confirm this because it's such a good story. That there was this play when he was with the Dolphins, and I don't remember who the offensive coordinator was, but there was this play this offensive coordinator loved, and Marino hated it. And Marino always said he wouldn't run it. He wouldn't run the play. <laughs> and and the offensive coordinator would, like, call it during a game, and he'd audible, like, no, we're not running that play. And so there, it came to a head at some point where the, the coach had to make his, you know, his his point. And he's like, I'm the coach, and you're the quarterback. You you have to run the, the play. And, and whoever the, the Dolphins coach was said, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was Shula or not, but he goes, yeah, you got to run the play. So – Third quarter, fourth quarter, like close game, uh, as I as I have been told the story, uh, they call that play, and Marino goes to the line and purposely throws an interception, <laughs> <laughs> and then comes back to the sideline and goes, "Yeah, nice play." That's that to me. I I, I don't. I hope that story's true. I hope I that see. story's true. Yeah, and and so great athletes have like this. There's something there that's. Like when they're really, really good, it's 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 you know it's very admirable. And when they stop being good, it like really go they go dark like very quickly. And I think I think you're right. I think Kobe's gone dark. I I just you know there's I mean I, I it blows my mind. The guy shooting twenty one. He's a professional basketball player. Twenty one percent from from three, which is like what like Shaq would shoot or something. And, and he's shot the ball 137 times. I, I just find that 
to be. I mean, that means he's going to shoot at like 500 threes this year or something. Yeah. I love it. I, I love it. Um, and the exact... Now, the exact opposite of this is Golden State. The exact right. opposite of this is Golden yeah. State. Now, every every uh, current discussion of the Golden State Warriors includes a bunch of great statistics yeah. because it's so fun to talk about. So let me throw some of these at you, all okay. right? First of all, a couple stories, a couple like minimum anecdotes from the season so far. When they beat Denver to go 15-0, and they were only winning by like six or something at the half. And apparently, Luke Walton... Like called the timeout and they came over to the bench and all he said was, "Guys, where's the joy? Huh? Where's the joy?" And then they went out and just blew Denver away. That's what. That's Luke Walton's job. That's how easy his, it is to coach the Warriors. Is he just says, "Where's the joy?" Where's the joy? Also, by the way, how amazing is it that like that was what he needed to say? Like that's that's how this team plays. Here's the other one: when they beat the Jazz to go 19 and 0, it was a tough game. They only won by three points. In that game, Ian Clark, who you've never heard of, right. nor have I, he's the 11th or 12th guy on the bench. Somehow in this game, someone named Ian Clark, who apparently is a professional basketball player, <laughs> came into the game for six minutes, went four of five from three, scored 12 points, and sat down. And they won that game by three points. And it's like, it, it's like how do you beat that team? How do you beat a team that's in a tough game that Steph Curry, I think, only played 28 minutes in that game or something, 30 minutes. And Ian Clark just <laughs> casually lopes off the bench, drills four threes in six minutes, and then sits back down and they win the game by three points. How do you beat that team? Yeah. I don't understand this. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think you do. I mean, you know, obviously at some point they're gonna lose, maybe even while we're while we're talking. But you don't beat that team. Like that team will have nights where Eh, you know, the joy's not there or something. Um, but they're they're absolutely, they're incredible. I, I, I don't, it's so silly to compare, uh, you know, even even 90s teams to today. And, and uh, you know, people talk about that Bulls team with Jordan and all that. And, and nobody's nobody's ever going to be better than that team because Jordan fans are always going to, to hold that team to a higher, you know, level than anybody that comes along. But I swear, I, I just... I, I don't think I've ever seen a team play basketball better than this team. I mean, as, as great as that Jordan team was, they were just like, they were like killers. Like, yeah. like, like they won what what they go? 73 and eight, right? 70, 73 and eight, 72 and, 72 and 10, 72 and 10. Okay. Yeah. So um, 72 wins that team at its absolute best goes 72 and 10. Like they literally got every ounce of, because they just they had a chip on their shoulders and they were angry and you had the whole crazy Rodman thing and 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 Jordan of course was you know he was in addition to being awesome he was he was he's nuts I mean he's just gonna kill you and this team is like it's like happy land it's it's Steph Curry I really believe that before the said and done and I you know I I hope this to be true that Steph Curry will like be elected president or something like he's <laughs> he's the most lovable wonderful athlete i can ever remember i i just i don't i hear people every so often go oh yeah you know i don't i don't like that warriors team it's impossible not to like that warriors team i really don't see how you can not like them i don't see how you can not like him the guys on YouTube doing like cool videos with his wife and his kids and he's and he's super friendly and he's and he's 
He's awesome in every possible way. There, they are. We were talking about this before. I, I'm, you know, I'm not a regular season NBA guy. I check into the playoffs, and if the playoffs are interesting, you know, now that Cleveland's back in the mix, I've, I've, I've gotten a little more involved with that side of it. But I'm not an NBA regular season guy. I never want to miss these guys ever. I want to see every single game they play because they're just so much fun to watch. I, I, nothing. It's, it's, it's. There's no words. There's no words for how fun it is to watch them play. And I, I am so firmly on the bandwagon. (laughs) I don't. I make no apologies for it. It's you. How can you not root for that level of excellence? Like. The things that he does nightly and that that team does nightly are not only unprecedented, they're just, it, it, joy is the right word. It's, they're playing with pure joy. It's like they're made out of light. <laughs> it's like they're made out of sunlight. Here, really quickly, you have to dig hard to find statistics for Curry this year that no one has already talked about. Here are some I looked up and haven't heard yet. If you hit eight three-pointers in a game, You've basically had one of the like 150 or so best three point games in basketball history. There's been like 150 ish guys have ever hit eight threes in a game. Curry has done it six times this season in 22 games. So of those 150 games, six of them are one guy through 22 games of this season. He is also on pace to be in the top 10 all time for threes made in a season by game 44. So rough a little more than halfway through the season if he's at his current pace. He will be he'll ha- have had one of the top 10 all-time seasons for threes made in a season. Here's the crazy thing, even crazier than that. He is also on pace to break his own record for three-pointers made in a season in game 54. The All-Star break by my count is after game 52. So he could theoretically have the all-time record for made threes in a season by the All-Star break. <laughs> I mean, that's absurd. It's absurd. That's ridiculous. And here's the last one, and this is the one that, that, is, that is interesting long-term. The Spurs, who are very quietly 18-4, and four, right. are on pace to go 67-15 and 15 exactly, which is the record Golden State had last year when they had one of the greatest years in basketball history. And if the Spurs do go 67-15, they are currently on pace with all of the caveats that you always say when you, you know, when someone's on pace for something. But they would be on pace to go 67-15 and 15 and be the two seed 15 games out of the first seed because the Warriors are on pace to go 82-0. Yeah. It's, it's so remarkable. It's, you're, it's, we're running out of ways to talk about how absurd this is. I, and, and I hope we don't. I hope that I hope they keep going. I want them to go eighty-two and zero. I mean, the reason they if they don't break the Bulls' record, it'll be for one of two reasons: injuries. Obviously, that's always a thing in sports, right? The sure. injuries could jump, could bite them, or they could just get to like sixty and three, and then just take their foot off the gas and right. coast to the best record. And Steph Curry will play fourteen minutes a night, and Iguodala will play six minutes a night, and. They'll just be resting for the break. Those are the two things that would stop them. Yeah, and my here's my, I guess, my question, and, and I don't think, I think the answer is obvious. So that that is a likely scenario. I mean, I don't know if it'll be 60-3, and three, but it's a likely scenario that going into the last month of the season, they'll have the, the number one seed wrapped up, like completely wrapped up. And it'll only be about either going for the record, for the, for the Bulls' record, or resting their guys, um, 
for, you know, for the playoff run, which is obviously more important than the record, or you would think it's more important. And what would they do? Like what, like if you knew that the Spurs and, and look, the Spurs have been a wonderful, wonderful story as well for years now, but you know what the Spurs would do. Spurs are, Spurs are absolutely hardcore workmanlike. They're, they're resting their guys. They don't, they don't care about the record. The record would not mean anything to them. But I think this this Golden State team is like about something like way bigger than all of us. You know, I mean, it's in a way it reminds me a little bit of that 2007 uh, Brady uh, uh, Patriots team in the sense of it wasn't like 16 and 0 was their number one thing. And obviously, once they lost to the Super Bowl, that was a that was a, a crushing defeat and all of that. But their kind of feeling was, yeah, we're going for best ever. We're not. We're not really just going for the Super Bowl here. We're not really just going for the championship here. We're going for something like super large and 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 mountaintop high, and and that's what we're going for. I kind of get that feeling about this team. Well, the the, the reason that happened was because Belichick cares so much about history, right? He's a football historian, and he he was acutely aware of his place in the in the in history and in the sure. pantheon and all that sort of stuff. I don't know, honestly, whether Steve Kerr and or Luke Walton and or Steph Curry and or any of those guys care about that stuff. If they do, then yeah, they'll. The why not? I mean, you, you, you know, you, they won the they won the title last year, right? So they're all right. They're fine, you know. Like they're, they're everybody's fine. They're all making a lot of money and they're all great and they're all having a good time. So if they care about history and about that sort of thing, then I then I think they go for it. If they don't, then. And maybe they just then they coast. Um, I don't. It'll be it'll be it's an interesting story because the other crazy thing is you know they're going to lose at some point. It might not be tonight, by the way, because with a minute thirty left in the first quarter, they're up forty to twenty four <laughs> over the Pacers in Indiana. Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson has seventeen points on four of six from three in the in the first ten minutes of this game. Uh, Curry has thirteen, so maybe it won't be tonight, but maybe it will. But they're going to lose eventually. They'll lose a couple times. They'll lose a few times. And then maybe the they maybe they go like all right that was fun while well, it lasted now we're playing for for the spring we're playing for the playoffs maybe I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see I hope they don't I really hope they don't I hope they try to win every single game because it does have the feeling a quarter of the way through the season like we're watching something truly historic yeah. I want it to end up that way I, and I think they feel it I mean I I really believe that now we'll we'll obviously find out um, by the way how about being Clay Thompson who is one of the greatest shooters in basketball yeah. history yeah. and and not even close on his own team not <laughs> not even close on his own team that's that's got to be i mean i'm sure it's great they love it the whole splash brothers thing whatever but i mean clay thompson is an unbelievable shooter that's yeah. there are it's you know there there's that uh, do you, i don't know if you remember that this bit where uh at one point maurice green when he was the fastest player uh, fastest man in the world he uh, he had his luggage stolen when he was in like a, an airport in France. He had his luggage stolen, and of course he just ran the guy down and caught him, and, and right. like from Remember behind. That. And and we and I always thought that guy was like, God, if it'd been anybody else, you know, I mean, if it'd been like anybody, I, like I'm fast. If it'd been anybody else, I'd get away, you know. Like that, there is nobody else you could put Clay Thompson on that team and have like him be clearly the second best like horse player on that team. You know I mean? I, yeah. I think, I think that's pretty great. So when that, when that Maurice green thing happened, I, I reminded me of uh, my wife and I took a trip to Buenos Aires one year. And when we were there, 
George W. Bush's daughters were also there, coincidentally. We just read it in the newspaper. And uh, a, a pickpocket, which is a problem in certain parts of Buenos Aires, stole, I think, Jenna Bush's wallet. And I always imagined how f kind of hilarious it must have been for that guy who did, <laughs> definitely didn't know, did, did not know which American tourist he was stealing a wallet from, got to wherever he got and looked in the wallet and slowly put together <laughs> that there were going to be a thousand Secret Service agents looking for him. Like any, any other, he could have stolen my wallet and no one would have cared. And, but he just took the wrong wallet. I don't know what happened to him. I never read about what happened to him, but... I'm so imagining that guy's not around much anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a bad break. <laughs> you you don't want to steal uh, Maurice Green's uh, furniture or pickpocket Jenna Bush. I think those oh. – that's <laughs> it's like in the crime handbook, like first page. Yeah. All right. So, good. We That was the best faux argument ever because we never actually discussed what we were uh, – what the faux Wait, argument well, was. Wait, well, make your prediction. Warriors, oh. victory, Lakers. Wait, uh, I, 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 I actually – if I'm making a serious prediction, I'm going to predict that um, – that Golden State will have more wins than the Lakers, or by the way, Philadelphia, who we've ignored because they're so bad. They don't; they're not even fun to talk about. They're so bad. But either yeah. one, I still think uh, because I'm 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 thinking seventy four wins. I'm really thinking they go for seventy four wins, which would be unbelievable. Absolutely. Yeah, unbelievable. I I, uh, I the New York Times the five thirty eight site on the New York Times website today did a ran a bunch of simulations, and there was a ten. Uh, there's a five percent chance that they end up with 78 or more wins. So in their simulation, a one in 20 chance that they win 78 games. Now, obviously that doesn't take into account, you know, resting guys and, sure, and save sure. for the playoffs or whatever. But I, I'm, I'm going to, I'll say the same thing in classic faux argument fashion. We agree. I'm, I'm going to root for history and greatness and say that the number of warriors wins is higher than the number of Lakers losses. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to enjoy the Lakers losses. I mean, this, this, I'm going to enjoy this entire NBA year, but Ooh, that actually points out a, an interesting thing, which is I'm sh I would bet that there's a good chance that they, that the Lakers set a record or maybe the Sixers too for, most games out of first place <laughs> finishing a season, right? I mean, if the Warriors do get close to 72 wins and the Lakers probably have around 72 losses, that ought to be the most games, I would assume, the most games out of first ever. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're 18 games out now. Eight, <laughs> they play 21 games and they're 18 games out of first place. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, brother. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right, let's go on to our draft. And, uh, you know, this week's draft is kind of, it's it's a little obscure because we didn't really get a chance to talk a lot about it. So right. um, the draft is, as we define it, sports traditions. Crazy, not have to be crazy, but I think the idea being crazy sports traditions. That is what we are drafting uh, this and week. it's and it's imp it's important to reiterate that we literally didn't even discuss what we mean by that. No, so, no, like, we have no idea. Have no idea what you're gonna say. You should go for it. You get the first pick because I need to know even where you are <laughs> in, in the in the possible spectrum of of how you define this. Yeah, that's it's not it's it's because there is a pretty good chance we're going to be completely on different ends um, <laughs> of this thing. We're just saying words now and just saying let's draft that word without defining that word. I think that's yeah. that's pretty good stuff. All sure. right, so so my idea. This is how my I. This is how I view sports traditions. I view it as 
things I'm not looking at like sports traditions, like, like Ohio state donning the eye or any of that stuff. My idea of sports traditions is stuff we do in sports, uh, that we've been doing forever that make no sense, but that I love that things that I love. So, um, I'm going to go with sort of the, the theme we have discussed this before, but I'm going to go with this as my number one overall pick. Cause it's, it's the idea behind my, my thought of sports traditions. And that is the chain gang in, in the NFL. Uh, as my first overall pick, I love the chain gang for so many reasons. Uh, you know, some that we have discussed, which is the fact that we are in 2015, we are in 2015 and we're still measuring first downs by having four guys pull a chain, 10 yard chain and measuring first downs based on that. That is so fantastic. But what I really enjoy about it now is that the NFL, and you and I do, we've never had a faux argument about this because we actually have a slight disagreement on this. I I hate the way the NFL is completely um, uh, micromanaged to the to the death. I, I don't like the way replays used. Uh, I find it to be overly, and, and it's not even just a time thing. It's just like, I, I don't want every single play under a microscope, did the ball touch the ground? Maybe it looked like a catch, but maybe it was. I, I hate, I hate all elements of that. But in that environment where we do that, where every catch is judged to the to the craziest degree, where they, where they they and I don't want to say this to you because you'll black out when I say it, where they suspended a quarterback for four days, four games, based on one pound per square inch in a football that he may or may not have had any knowledge of. Um, in that environment, they're still measuring first downs with this stupid chain on the field is so awesome and such a great tradition. And I never want them to change it. I want the game to keep like, it's going to, you know, it's going to keep getting more and more and more micromanaged but they're going to still send out those stupid guys with the chain to tell you whether or not it's a first down. I, I just think that is a fantastic sports tradition. You're forgetting a, two great key elements of the chain gang, which is that a lightning fast, complicated play occurs in football where a guy catches a pass and gets hit and spins around and goes flying and another guy comes in and then the guy lands. And then a referee like 30 yards away on the sideline comes running in right. to to put his foot down, which is not an exact measurement, to put his foot down where the ball was at the moment the runner's knee or elbow hit the ground. Right. And that is just the official. We just all are like, yep, that's where he was. No one questions it. Also, when he's running in off, and I, I always like watching him run in where he doesn't stay on the same sort of latitudinal right. line. <laughs> where he's like sort of weaving in and out. So it's like hard to even know if he knows where he's going. Then the ch- so it's like already you're screwed. Right. Then then the chain gang comes out and that's a whole other thing where like if you imagine you know if one part of the chain gang one side of the chain gang stays fixed and the other guy who's holding the giant orange thing at the end of the chain if he walked around he would walk in a giant circle right, right. it would be like a compass so if he's even like one degree off dead like absolutely straight down the length of the field then the measurement is totally irrelevant because it's not the actual length of the chain, which is itself an, an entirely crude measurement of the 
crude placement of the ball based on the crude placement of the ref's foot when he ran in from the side. It's the craziest system. I saw this thing being advertised the other day. Where it's like a laser measurement. It's supposed to replace tape measures. Right. It's just a, it's a tiny little thing, and it's a laser that you just shoot, and when it hits the wall, it tells you exactly with like literally laser precision how far away you are. How are they not using that? How are you not going out and just putting like a piece of paper behind at the no, front nose of the ball and then taking this perfect laser pointer out to where the ball was? At least that way, first of all, it would be faster. It would be way faster than having to run like four guys out carrying a weird chain. But it's like there, there's probably, conservative estimate, 75 better ways to do to do that. <laughs> I would just a wild guess. I think there's 75 better ways. Well, there, and, and even within the things that you said, there are two other things. One is when the guy marks the ball with his foot, the foot is not a point, right? I mean, the foot, like, there's, <laughs> the, the end of the no. foot is like he could put it anywhere around that foot. And it's like you could be an inch off or whatever. And it doesn't matter because like, oh, it's where he marked it. So it's got to be right there. And then here's my other favorite part. After they measure it, they pick the ball up and just throw it across the field, right? <laughs> I was like, measure it again. Like when they put the ball down again, just keep measuring it. And they yeah. throw it across the field. And the guy just like, he at that point, he's like, it's not a first down. So I can put the ball down wherever I want at this point. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So oh, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's across the first down marker. It's like a yard short. It doesn't matter at that point. Because I'm just, and then the center moves the ball anyway. All of this is so <laughs> yes. unbelievably the, stupid. The end of all of this is that, well, first of all, I love it when they measured and it's just short. Just short. And then the referee holds up his two <laughs> index fingers as it, like with a like yep it's this many inches what are you talking about then they then they hurl the ball underhand all the way across the width of the field to another guy who randomly puts it down <laughs> generally close to where they think it was then the center comes puts his hand on the ball and moves the ball forward or backward by a few inches it's like what is happening here like the 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 i i you just have to get into the mindset of like none of this really matters right that's the at the end of the day it's like none of this matters this is a this is a silly game it's a it's a it's a game that is for entertainment purposes only and it's about it's almost it's like one one level above professional wrestling in terms of how, in terms of how it's judged because then we you know this is a whole other argument but on every single play there is holding there is every illegal play. contact there's hands to the face there are clips and blocks in the back every single play. And when they decide to throw those flags, who knows why? I mean, maybe it's just like the most egregious ones. I don't know. After the Patriots lost to the Broncos, Brock Osweiler ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, it was a regional cover. But I, I really urge everybody to go look at it. On the cover is Brock Osweiler throwing a pass while right behind him, one of his linemen literally has, I think it's Rob Ningovich, in like a chokehold. <laughs> like... Like, he's just got his entire arm wrapped around his neck in the literal dictionary definition of holding. And it's like, yeah, that just, who cares? That's what happens on every play. Well, I don't know why, you know, I'm sure the guys at SI were like, yeah, but it's a good photo. It's a good photo, <laughs> you know? exactly. Uh, I love they... it. And that's, but I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with, like, embracing sort of the nothingness of it all. But they don't. That's what bugs me. So it really bothers me a lot more when they start like, oh, wait a minute, the ball moved a little bit on that catch, or wait a minute, you know, and they and they go with these crazy, crazy replay, uh, you know, where they're just getting, and it's like, 
stop pretending that this there's any real science to any of this that it's okay well, it's a game. let me just say this though let me let me say this in my defense there are two i i think these are two similar but slightly separate issues issue number one is what's a catch and that kind of thing right i think that stuff is garbage i think that that megatron's catch was a catch i think des Bryant's catch was a catch i think in general most of these all of the attempts to say like football move control securing whatever all that stuff is nonsense and that stuff should just be like, come on, he caught it. Look at him. He, that guy caught it. He, he had the ball. It, exactly. and caught it. Yes. But that to me is a different issue from replay because replay to me is like when there's a crucial fumble late in a game and or or a, a ref just straight up misses something like that. And it's a play that that really that is obvious and that it's not like it's not in that gray zone of what's a catch. Something that's obviously just they made the wrong call. I'm never. I I am never sad when that stuff is reviewed. Oh, I agree and with that. I agree. Right? With that. I agree with that 100. percent I'm not against replay. I'm against the way replay is used. I overturning terrible calls to me. That's exactly what it should be about in baseball. It's what it should be about in football. I'm 100 percent in agreement with that. It's it's the micromanaging, and I I know there's a way to to change it to avoid that to 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 give them a time limit or to 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 tell them they're only allowed to look at it a couple of different angles or whatever I don't know exactly how to do it but my point is the NFL takes itself so seriously and then they send the chain gang out to measure your first down yeah. I I just I find that to be hilarious it's great it's really truly great it's a, it's a, the it's the like the most absurd. <laughs> thing in sports and it and it comes into play on every drive every that's what's so great it's not like a random occurrence or something it's literally that's how they play football <laughs> all right we're totally blowing this we were supposed to limit our four argument to 10 minutes and now we're we're all we're way over. we ran way over on that and now we're going way over on this it's so we'll, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up all right uh, i maybe we just find sports editions a little differently but uh, I, I for my number one overall pick i'm going with uh I'm going with take me out to the ball game slash seventh inning stretch. Ah. Now I know this isn't part of this of the game itself, but as the father of a seven year old son who is currently in his like nascent baseball is great explosion of enthusiasm, oh. it's really lovely to see how excited he gets for that moment. Uh, and and he loves singing the song. He loves the he loves the stretch aspect of it. It's at a moment in a close game where things are getting exciting and tense and relief pitchers are coming in or, you know, it's always like a, if it's a blowout, it's a blowout. But if it's a close game, the seventh inning stretch is always kind of exciting because it's like, all right, here we go. This is the last, you know, 25% of the game or something. Uh, and it, it just feels old. The song is so corny and in, in the best possible way. It's so cheesy and silly. I love it when they do it at Wrigley. Everything about it is is great and feels like it's the kind of, you know, baseball is obsessed with its history and it, sometimes to its own detriment. But that's the kind of thing that I think is good about baseball's history obsession is when you have these weird, corny, goofy traditions. Um, my one gripe with it is that it has now been terribly mixed in with this whole other thing where now you also have to sing God Bless America and sometimes you have to sing another song at a specific stadium, and then suddenly it's like a weird concert is breaking out, and then the game, it takes 15 minutes to get back to the game. But on its own, take me out to the ballgame, slash seventh inning stretch, I think is great. I could not agree more. Love it. 
Absolutely love it. Love when they do it. It bugs me when people don't stand for the seventh inning stretch. Me too. It really Come bugs on, me. Guys. It's just stand up. Exactly. And it's not like, you know, it's not, you're, you're not obviously, you know, when people don't stand for the national anthem or something and it's anti-patriotic. It's not like that. It's, it's like, to me, my feeling is if you have so little joy in your heart, don't, don't come to a baseball game. Just well, why are you here if you are not willing to just stand up for the seventh inning stretch? And then and then only for take me out to the ball game. You don't have to stand like when they do the kiss cam and all the other garbage that they do after that. But just come out and sing take me out to the ball game. That's why you're at a baseball game, in my view. So totally love it. Girls love it. My girls are, are uh, my younger one has a little bit of baseball in her. My older one, um, none at all. Yeah, you know, we whenever we used to go to a game, and even now when we go to a game, uh, she uh, brings books to read during the game, uh, which is great, which is so awesome because right. the game will be going on and she's completely unaware of it, and then something will happen, somebody will hit a home run or something, and the whole crowd uh, will go crazy, and I'll look at Elizabeth's face and she'll like look up, and it's like somebody woke her from it, like she's like, what am I doing here? Like I was reading, I was just, I was just reading, and now like, what is all? Who are all these people? I mean, it's there's this great look on her face, but even they won't leave, even if we're like in a minor league game, until you sing, take me out to the ball game. It's like that's 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 why you're there in some right. cosmic way. So totally gr- love that pick, awesome pick. So I'm gonna with my number two pick. I'm gonna stay with baseball. It's again, it's a topic we've discussed, but I don't know if we've discussed it as fully as we should. Uh, and that is the entire scene of a manager going out to take the pitcher out of a game. Like every element of that aspect is is fantastic. And we've talked about it because because Seinfeld had a great bit about him going out and he always has to take that ball like that like that's the only ball that's his like <laughs> that's his bit. Which I love that bit. I love that whole yeah. thing. But I love I love the idea that a manager has to go out and get the guy. Like, I think that is so great. It reminds me of like when, as a, like when my kids were little and they'd be like on the playground or somewhere like that. And I'd be like, you know, pointing at them, like, come on time to go in. And they're like, no, you know? And I'm like, I have to go and get them on the field. Like I have to go grab them. And like, we're going, that's what it's like. Like the manager is like pointing at the guy, like, come here, you're done. And the guy's like, I'm not leaving. I'm not, you have to actually walk out, take the ball away from him, which is fantastic. And then, and then he goes in and, and if, if he's, if he's done well, if, if you're going out there, it's like a congratulatory takeout, then the crowd cheers him. If, if he's done poorly, they're booing him. That guy's got that walk of shame all the way in, which is great. But the manager does not walk with him. The manager stays on the mound. And then he's like, he's like the concierge for like the next pitcher. Like the next pitcher comes in and he like gives him the ball. And he's like, Hey, you know what? Take, take your time. You know, as many pitches as you want to warm up, everything's cool. And, and then goes back in. I, I think that whole scene, it's like, there's, it's like a, it's like a coronation every time you see it out there. And I, I will admit when you watch a, pit, a manager like Tony Larusa, uh, who takes out like twelve pitchers an inning, it gets really, really annoying. But if you have like a typical game where there's just like two or three pitching changes, or one or two, or whatever the number is, um, there's something really cool about that whole thing. That whole it's 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 not. There's a tradition. This is the way we do it. We don't just like every other team will just send a wave a player in, wave a player out. Um, but not in baseball. In baseball, especially for pitchers, only for pitchers, 
Uh, there's a whole thing you have to go through in order to get them. I like that. There's a weird pageantry to it. Yeah. You know, it's like the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace or something. There's like, there's a, a rhythm to it. Also, I love how slowly certain pitchers walk out of the game. <laughs> I mean, it's like they, they're walking at like one third speed. John Lester walks so slowly after every inning and then after he's taken out. I don't know why. It's like, just walk at a normal speed. It's just it's so weird. But there's that's what I mean. There's like this kind of strange formality and pageantry to the whole thing. It's a good choice. It's a it's a weird aspect of baseball, um, but I like it. Um, I like it. I'm gonna I'll stay with baseball too. I'm gonna say for my number two pick. I'm gonna it's a it's sort of site specific, although it's really spread. It's throwing the ball back when an opposing player hits a home run. <laughs> Now, I have a somewhat controversial opinion about this, which is I think it should only be allowed at Wrigley Field. Right. Which is, I believe, is where it originated. And now it happens at a lot of places. But there's something so Chicago about it and something so Cubs fan about it that just like, and I remember the first time I saw it happen, I was watching when I was a kid, I was watching a game on WGN and I saw it happen and it blew my mind because it was like, you fool, you had a ball. Like, what are you doing? A home, you caught a ball. And I remember it very clearly. They were playing the Braves, and I think Ken Griffey Sr. maybe hit a home run. I could be wrong about that. Uh, maybe it wasn't. I don't remember. Someone on the Braves hit a home run, and the fan caught it and just immediately threw it back. Like, did not hesitate. It was like he, it was like he was an outfielder, and he was catching the ball and then trying to get the guy who was tagging up and heading home. And I just love it. It's so great. It's so Chicago and so just like angry and defiant and just like, I don't care that this is a cool souvenir. I don't want this. I'm a Cubs fan and I don't want this stupid ball. And, and I, and I like that they allow it. I just think it's great. I, but I think it should only be allowed at Wrigley. That's my feeling. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a great pick and I agree with you on Wrigley. Although I will say this, I had sort of a, sort of a, um, I don't know. It was, it was a it was a bad moment. I used to love that that whole concept. And you're right. It's because it's so it's so Chicago. It's such a you know. It's because every time a Cub fan throws the ball back, he's not throwing the ball back for himself. He's throwing the ball back for like ninety years of agony. Right. It's like how many of these stupid balls are you guys going to hit into the crowd? And I'm throwing it. I mean, it's just like, I love that. It, there's a, there's such a cool symbolism about him, but I will say this. And I, you know, I don't, I hope they don't do this still, but I was in Chicago in the bleachers. Um, and this was probably 15, maybe more 25 years ago, maybe. And I'm in the bleachers and a guy hit a home run and the guy didn't want to throw it back. And of course I'm, I'm all for shaming the guy to throw it back. I, <laughs> sure. I really, I have no problem with that in Chicago. Now, anywhere else now, like in, when they do it in LA, that's horrible. Like you're LA, just be LA. Like LA, you be like, be cool about it. You know? So in yeah. Chicago, I get it. Shame the guy. Finally, he does. He throws it back and an usher walks over to the guy and gives him like a, I threw the ball back at Wrigley diploma. Like a little, like, a little, uh, oh, and that, that kind of broke me. Now, I don't know if they still do that anymore. I don't, maybe that was just a one day thing. Maybe I just caught it on the wrong day, but horrible. So I hated that. So then I'm like, well, I don't like this at all. So that sounds like something that like, that sounds like something a marketing guy thought up, right? Yeah. It's like, 
you know, to try to like try to sell more bleacher seats. Like if you catch a ball through a bag, you get this dumb diploma. Like, <laughs> Which would be I horrible. Hate- oh, I would I would you know, I would rip that thing up in one second. I mean it's just that's that that alone is enough for reason not to do it. But I don't know if they still do that anymore. And you're right. I, I think uh I think the the first person who did it, that guy should be in the Hall of Fame. Like yes, that's hundred <laughs> percent. You're totally right. They should figure out who the first person was and put him in Cooperstown or her. Put them in Cooperstown immediately. That's a great idea. Yes, I'm all for it. I'm pushing it. Look, they're putting they're trying to put all these pre-integration guys in the Hall of Fame. Put that person in the Hall of Fame. That's, Absolutely. that's what we should do. All right, my third pick, I'm gonna go to a different sport. I'm gonna go to golf. Uh golf has so many cool, outdated, ridiculous traditions. Um, but my favorite is the whoever is further away from the hole hits first tradition. I just think that's to me, golf would be unplayable. It's, I mean, it's unplayable for me now. I, I don't play golf, but it would be unplayable if you didn't have like these traditions and rules to like keep people in line because like everybody'd be like, no, I want to hit, should you hit first? It, it, nobody would know like when they're supposed to hit or what, what they're supposed to do or how it works. But like golf tells you, like golf doesn't just say, okay, these are the rules of how you play. Like golf tells you like, all right, you're, this is, if that person is like one inch further away on the putt, then they putt first. And that's, that's the rule. And, and I've seen like where people argue like, no, you're, you're away. Like, no, you're away. And and, and they'll actually argue about this. And uh, I just think that's so cool. Everything about honors and, and, and all of that. Like, I like the fact that if you, if you score better on the hole that you, you hit first on the next tee, Everything about like the order of golf seems to me to be be very cool and and keeps the sport uh, keeps it moving because it's so long and 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 you know it's it's you could spend like months playing golf, um, yeah. but you know this is kind of like keep, no we we got rules and everybody's everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing here and and it's got like a little director working all the time in golf so big fan of honors and I don't know what you would call that I guess order. Propriety. How about propriety? Propriety. I like that. Yeah. I I think I've talked about this before. My friend Dave King has a uh, theory that golf is the only sport really that anybody should be emotionally invested in because it's the only sport that doesn't rely on kind of human error when it comes to refereeing or interpretation of the rules. There's no refs. It's just a, a list of rules. You have to conform to them. They're very clear. You know, you can't ground your club in this sand hazard. You can't do this, you can't do that. You can't sign the scorecard wrong, whatever. And all of this stuff that drives you crazy about, let's say, football, about, you know, the, about the chain gang, none of that stuff comes into play in golf. And it's really true if you think about it. Like, it's the only game where you're not relying on other people to kind of run in and interpret the action. Uh, and it's a pretty, it's a strong argument. I wish I liked golf more. It would <laughs> make it easier for me to follow his rules. Um, but no, I, I'm with you. I think that's good. I like further from the hole as a catch all uh, category. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's mine. Here's my number three. It's a weird one. I love that NBA players after they take free throws, uh, high five, all of the other guys on the free throw line, <laughs> whether they make it or miss it. I love that. I think it's so great. I watched, uh, I was at a Clippers game recently. I took my son to his first Clippers game, and they went into the hack of Jordan. And it wasn't the game where Jordan missed 22 or whatever it was, uh, free throws. 
but he certainly missed like 10 or 12. <laughs> and it made me laugh every time because there was one trip to the line where he airballed both free throws. <laughs> and he shot the first one and airballed it, and the crowd kind of went like, ugh. And then he just goes up and slaps five with, you know, Lance Stevenson and Chris Paul and whoever. Like, he's just like, yep, here, Blake gives him a high five. It's like, you don't deserve that high five. Like, that's that should be reserved for when you make it. That's a te- usually a sign that you've done something good instead of something humiliating. And I loved thinking of, I didn't see that game, but I love thinking about DeAndre Jordan missing 22 free throws and high-fiving guys 22 times after missing free throws. I think that's such a nice little weird thing. And by the way, everyone does it. I don't know. I'm sure there are players in the league who don't do it. I don't know who they are. I've never seen them. I, every guy I've ever seen takes the first free throw. Whether he makes it or misses it, he goes up and he slaps five with all of the other teammates on, who were on the uh, who were in the paint, which is, I think that's great. What a weird thing to do. I love it. I love the. I love it. You know, I love all high fives in, in basketball because if you watch them warm up, You'll notice they every single time, and I was watching this with LeBron because how many how many like layup lines has LeBron James been in in his life? Right, like a thousand layup lines, and every time he makes a layup or gets a rebound on a layup, he'll run by like his like whatever five or six teammates in the line, and he'll high five them all yeah. in like warm ups. Like, hey, 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 hey. And th- which is fine. Like, the first time you're like, oh, yeah, you know, they're getting in the spirit of the game and it's, it's great. But then he makes another layup and then he does it again. And then <laughs> another layup and he does it again. Like, he high fives him like 27 times during. And I just thought, at some point, doesn't that lose whatever purpose it is? But I like it. It's like, I, I like bringing yes. teams together. Basketball, especially the NBA, is a constant like reaffirmation <laughs> like it just like they they high five they high five they high five all through once then they get introduced and when they introduce they go down and they high five and they have special high fives and then they jump up in the air and they twist and like and like knock into each other and then they have special little rituals and then they have like the thing like uh, the clippers players uh, come over and they have special high five handshakey things that they do with all of their coaches all the bench players all of the assistant coaches, some of the guys who were like in the broadcast team. Then they had like Pablo Prigioni comes over and he's got a special thing with Josh Smith that they do where they like, you know, they have like, it's just crazy. It's nonstop high-fiving and, and affirmation of we are teammates. And it's kind of cool. I like it. Yeah, I do. I do like it. I, I, I'm with you. All right. With the number four pick, I'm going to go with, I don't know if it's a tradition and I don't actually, I, I wish I knew a little more about the history of it. Um, Love the red light and siren at, at hockey games. I, I love the whole idea. And here's why. I mean, because, like, in other sports, you know, if you hit a home run, eventually you'll start running the bases. Maybe some fireworks will go off or whatever. But in hockey, every single time uh, you score a goal, the red light goes on, whether it's your opponent or whether it's it's the home team. The red light goes on, and, like, someplace at the siren – uh, or whatever it is to let you know. And honestly, it's just to let people know the puck went in the net because nobody actually saw it go in. That's <laughs> Everybody saw the approach. They knew, like, hey, there's a chance this is going to go in. And then they see the red light, like, yes, it's they scored. And nobody nobody actually saw the, the actual goal because I, I, I've never seen a goal. And but I've seen that red light go all the time. And I'm, it's really especially true on television. Like in person, it's a little bit better. Um but even in person, you're watching and you're like, oh, this is a real threat. And then 
one pass, two pass, and then somebody shoots, and then there's like a scramble in front, and then the red light goes on, and you go, hey, he scored. That's awesome. You're really cheering the red light because, you know, you, you didn't see the, the puck go in. And yeah. it's the only sport that's like that. And it's and to me, I don't know who thought it up. I don't know if it's, if where it came from. But I, I think it's genius that it was – that's the guy's like, well, how are we going to let people know that goals are being scored? And they're like – Red light and siren. I mean, it works for cops. That's really the only way. Like, if they like had like a goal, like a referee hold his hand up or something, people are like, yeah, you might not see that. Red light. I'm just total yeah. siren. Love it. So huge fan you of the red light. You imagine that what happened was an like an elderly owner of a hockey team was in like the skybox, whatever, forty years ago, and the team kept scoring. And he was like, what's happening? I can't see anything. And then they're like, oh, we scored again. He was like, can we get a siren or something? Like, can, we, can you flash a light or do something? I can't tell what's happening down there. Like, I feel like that's exactly what happened. That this yeah. is like a, a, an 87, the 87-year-old owner of the Blackhawks or the Red Wings or something was like, God damn it. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I can't see a thing. Hey, the red light it went on. You know, I mean, that that is so... It's such a great, you know, and hockey is so, hockey's great. This is another topic at some point that I know we've discussed talking about, which is the difference between television and, and real life sports. Like, like what is the biggest difference? And, and I think hockey is by far, in a way, the biggest difference. Uh, but in both cases, uh, whether you're watching it on television or whether you're, you're there live, at some point, like you might be the greatest hockey watcher ever and, and not understand what I'm talking about because you see the goals perfectly. You cannot tell me if you score any number of goals in a game, at one point you're relying on that red light. There's no way you've seen the puck go in every single time. Um, it's a good choice. I'm going to go for my fourth choice. I'm going to go. It's a pretty, well, it's pretty standard, but it's cool. I like spiking the ball after a touchdown. Yeah. That's a, it's a, it's, it's not, there's not that much to say about it. I think it comes from rugby, right? Like in rugby, you have to, in order to, when you, when you run into the, whatever they call the end zone, you actually touch the ball down on the, the ground. Down, I'm, right. yeah. yeah. I'm assuming that, that that's where it comes from. Or if it doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter. Cause it's a cool thing to do. It's like a weird, angry, defiant <laughs> thing that the league, even the NFL, which doesn't let their players do anything. Like if they wear the slightly wrong shade of, black on their like on their their shoes they get fined 10 million dollars it's like they don't they can't make a move without getting fined but they weirdly let them spike the ball and i it's great and it's like a it's a the perfect somehow it's the perfect i think it's this is my theory i think it's the perfect expression of happiness in football because the ball is oblong so the ball if you spike a basketball it just goes straight up in the air. Right, right. Right? But a football just goes careening off to the side somewhere. <laughs> and I think that adds to the effect of spiking. I think that's kind of what makes it great is that it's like this angry, like, I did it! And you slam it on the ground and it just goes it just goes sideways. There's something very satisfying about that. I don't know why. But I feel like it's a great tradition. And frankly, I, I wish that the NFL would loosen up and let them do more because I feel like touchdown celebrations could be the greatest things ever if they would just let them do them. You know, like Cam Newton's thing when he was dancing the other day and then like, a couple weeks ago and then the other team got furious at him because why? I don't know why. But like that was like, this is what should happen. The guy should have their own, it should be the most elaborate, they should be choreographed, it should be like in soccer when they score goals, it should be completely choreographed like little skits that they put on and then that would make football better. 
It would make football better. I'm I'm totally with you. I I actually think there should be, and the NFL should have nothing to do with this. Um, there should be some like a star search type committee. So like you actually say, hey, well, this is my touchdown dance, and and they go, no, that that's then not good enough. Go back and and do something better. And uh, because yeah. some of them, the ones that they do now, because you know they're they're they're, they're muted. Like I don't even get them. Like they're like, oh, he's smoking a cigar, and oh, he's you know, like, why? Like it, it has to be like the best ones. That's what's so great about the about the spike because the spike is like just this big bold move. There's there's no you don't you're not you're not like he's not miming. You know he's not he's not like oh I'm in a box now. He's he's smat, he's slamming the ball. I loved when like they would I loved the Tony Gonzalez and and others, but he he did it more than anybody. Spike it over the goalpost. Like I love that. Like that that's was, great. That's a great one. And some of the ones that they've done, like some of the some of the some of the great ones that like. Uh, uh, Terrell Owens did or whatever. Like I loved him. Like when he fell down and like ha- at the midfield at the at the Cowboys thing, I thought like you were there's a message here and it's not hard to figure out. This is not like yeah. a foreign film. You you get it, you know. But now some of these are like way too like they're too complicated. It's like they need to they need to be simplified. Um but I love I disagree. I, I want them to be as complicated and long <laughs> as possible. I want them to be five minutes long. I'm okay with that as long as there's like I get it at the end. I don't. I just don't want to be at the end and and it you don't be want like, to feel left out. You don't want to feel like they like they're like you don't get it. Right. Exactly. I just don't want to. I don't. It's going to be like that Vanilla Sky movie where at the end I just like I don't know what's. I don't understand any of what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want that. I want it to be uh, on the field and I get it and all that. But I'm but I'm all for any element of celebration. I I just think. You know, and I'm all for and see, and to me, the better the celebrations get, the more awesome it is when the one guy just flips it to the referee because that's right. a statement. That's like such a bold, like, yeah, right. you know what? I am too cool for any of that. Let's see, I love yeah. that. But if everybody does that, it'd be boring. My fifth choice, and and I've got several several options here, um, and I'm not really sure which one I'm, I should go with, um, but I'm going to stick with the NFL since we do that. I I absolutely love that. NFL officials still pantomime the signals after like uh, penalties. I love every, I lo- first of all, I love all of them. All of them are so great. Like holding is so great. Like it's, a, I, yeah. I, I don't know how much you've followed the history of the holding pantomime, uh, but it used to be like you grab the wrist and then you like pull down like the, like you grab the wrist and your, your back of your hand was pointed at the at the camera or at the crowd and then you like yank down like you were like like you was like a like you were pulling something like the the little horn on a bus or something and so i love that one but now it's not like that now it's like some hold their hands out and grab the wrist or or something like that so <clears throat> lots of different ways i think different referees use different styles like some yeah. people like totally way faster on the on the false start than others are. And uh, you know, as far as they're spinning their hands, clipping, which used to be great clipping used to be, you would hit the back of the leg. Like that's gone right. now. Now it's like, they just kind of just barely chop the leg and it's the wave of their hand next to their thigh. Right. Kind of. Right. They yeah. don't actually hit themselves. The chop block is awesome. Like that's that guy's totally bending over and just smacking his knees. I love that one. 
I, I think they're all great. I, I really, I remember when I was a kid, I used to look at like every time I would get like a program or, or some magazine or something. And they would have that like definition of referee signals, like that, yep. that page that would have all the pictures of them doing. Yeah. Little cartoons of oh, referees. I loved, watching. I loved right. that thing. I just used to read that thing and look at it and practice it myself and, I just think that's so great. And it's so stupid now. I mean, at this point, you just tell us what it is. You don't have to Well, actually... that's the funniest thing. I would assume that the reason that they were invented in the first place is because when they started refereeing football games, they didn't have microphones that could announce the penalties to the crowd. Right, right. right. So now they do, obviously, and they still do the, the signals. It's a little bit like when semaphores were invented, like in the Navy, and they had giant complicated flag motions that they would use to signal to other ships. It's like as if now with like, you know, dedicated satellite phone lines. If they were st- while they were talking from ship to ship, they were still on the deck doing <laughs> flag signals. You don't need to do that anymore. Like you can just tell me, I can hear you and see you. And it's in high definition. I promise we'll get it. Like we'll, you don't we'll need to. You don't need to grab your wrist and pull it <laughs> downwards. It's so weird. It's weird, and that's why I love it. I love they're still doing it. I, I mean, and and like I say, I love that there's some, of, you know, some officials that do it. Like they have their own style. Like their own their own thing. Like I'm, I know I I used to see those cartoons in the in the magazines too. But I'm doing it my way, and I you know that's bold. That to me is like their own touchdown dance, which I think is great. Uh, and I love that they still point. You know, like it, like yeah. we don't know which side it's on. Sometimes they forget, like they point the wrong way, and then they kind of have this weird double take <laughs> and then point the other way. I love that. Yeah, if, if they point the if they point the wrong way and it's to the visiting team, the home crowd cheers, <laughs> and then they quickly correct themselves and go the other way, and then the home crowd gets quiet. <laughs> yeah, I I just think everything about the the signal aspect of it is is fantastic. All right, for my last pick, I was gonna pick. Uh, my personal a, a, a personal favorite of mine, which is the half court shot to win a to win oh, a car or something in a basketball game. I was gonna pick that, but I think it's too new. It's just it's like since these are like traditions, I gotta go with something that I think is older. Sure. So I'm gonna I'm gonna half court shot to win a car will be an undrafted free agent that I'll sign to my team after the draft is over. I'll invite them to minicamp, uh, and I'm gonna go with uh, rally caps. Rally caps. Uh, yeah, and I I like it because again, it's one of those old timey weird thing where like where it, it feels like it's really old. If kids do it in from at every age, like you know, my son's t ball team did it when you know when he was six, and and also you see major leaguers doing it, which I think is great. It's awesome. So it's at every age, and also people have different theories of the rally cap. Like some people turn them inside out. Yeah. Uh, some people sort of fold the cap in half as if it's like on display and then put it sort of upright like a shark fin on the top of their head. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, a, there's oh, absolutely. People, they flip people it have different approaches to it, which I think is great because it's like a, it's already so dumb. And then people <laughs> like, they're like, no, 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 that's not how you do a rally cap. This is how you do a rally cap. So uh, I, it's just like, a, I like it. I like how it, it, it crosses age boundaries and it has specificity to it. And I like that major league teams still do it. So I'll take rally caps. I do like rally caps. I don't know how new that is. I don't know how old the rally cap thing is. I mean, I do remember it from years ago. I do like it. I like the, the fact that some don't even put it on their head. They just shake it in front of them. Yeah, that's you the know? other. It's like they're, it's like they're, they're panning for gold or something. <laughs> right? They're like sort of shimmy. They're holding it up upside down and sort of shimmying it back and forth as if they're trying to like catch fairy dust that will allow them to like charm their bats or something. 
I think it's a good pick. I think it's a good pick. All right, so my undrafted free agents, I have three uh, quick undrafted free agents. Uh, one is the waving, and I really wanted this one, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll get them early in, in, uh, in free agency. Uh, waving behind the backboard uh, when the guy's shooting the free throw. Sure. Like, they sure. still do that every level. And never works. Never it works. It never works, and especially stupid at the NBA level. I, 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 what, I mean, I get it. I mean, you're back there anyway. You might as well do something. But that is that is as pointless as the rally cap, and and yet people still do it, which I love. Yep. Um, Detroit always playing on Thanksgiving. Oh, love, that's a good one. Love I like it. that. Love yeah. it. Yeah, I love that. I I, I want. I, it really bugs me. I think we talked about this last uh, time. I, it bugs me that there's so many games on Thanksgiving. It's like it should be Detroit. I'm not even that crazy about Dallas. Like that one could could rotate. I don't care. But Detroit on Thanksgiving every year. It should be um, Detroit Green Bay. It should be Detroit Green Bay on Thanksgiving every year. Every year. And just have that. But they play eight times a year anyway. So make it on Thanksgiving, which I think would be great. Uh, and then the third one, which is, I, you know, it's just a tradition that I like, is the all-white at Wimbledon. I love the yeah. all-white at Wimbledon. And I was I was thinking about that because they actually just showed a, a highlight of the final. I was just watching something, and they were showing the highlight of the, of the men's final. And I it, like – struck me they never wear white except at Wimbledon anymore like they used to you would still see some white you know but now it's like they look totally like they're in chariots of fire they're like wearing completely the all white and and I think that's great I I think Wimbledon should uh, never ever let that happen let that change all right instead of undrafted free agents which I guess is now a new thing we're just doing where we just add (laughs) add for no reason at all exactly Instead of undrafted free agents, I'm going to tell you my three least favorite baseball or uh, sports traditions. Oh, right? I like these it. guys, are, these are guys I've never. These are these are the Johnny Manziel's of this draft for me. I'm never going to go near him. Uh, baseball managers wearing uniforms, I think, is the dumbest thing in the world. It's, it doesn't make any sense. They're old, many of them. They're out of shape. They look ridiculous. There's no reason they should be wearing a uniform. They should all be wearing suits. That's my. They should be like like uh, coaches in hockey, right. in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Gatorade showers. I hate Gatorade. Uh, uh, it makes me so empathetically sad for the people who are being doused with Gatorade. None of them want it to happen, by the way. <laughs> and when it's cold, it's like it's freezing cold, and this Gatorade is like sticky and gross, and they're gonna hair and their faces are gonna be sticky and awful. They're supposed to be happy and celebrating because they just won a big game, and instead they're gonna be miserable until they can get into the shower. It makes me so. Sad. I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> And then the last one, which I think we can all agree on is miserable and terrible, is the wave. The wave is oh. the worst thing invented. And whoever whoever threw the ball back at Wrigley for the first time should be in the Hall of Fame. Whoever invented the wave should be in a maximum security prison <laughs> for, <laughs> with no chance of parole, serving a thousand consecutive life sentences. Probably I, is already I, in, in prison. I hate it so much. I wanted to go away. And now, by the way, once again, my seven-year-old son, it's the greatest thing ever. He loves of it. Course. He can't wave a wave. Yeah. Well, here's it's so with your seven year old son, you're in the crowd, waves coming at you. You standing up, aren't you? I don't stand up. I do it from my seat as a kind of silent protest, so that he doesn't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't want him to be like, "Why aren't you doing this?" Because I want to preserve his sense of joy and wonder. But I refuse to get out of my seat. I absolutely refuse. I will not do it. I'll tell you why I hate it. I'll tell you why I hate the wave. And I and to me, the the essence of the wave, it's a cult. It's just, it's nothing but a cult. It's all these people pressuring me to do something I don't want to do. It's like, if we're one step away from everybody doing the wave and then, then suddenly somebody in the front gone, all right, now everybody drink Kool-Aid. Like every single person in here. 
And people would do it. If it's part of the wave, they would do it. I will say this. The one place I've ever liked it, I went to the big house in Michigan because I was born in Ann Arbor. And the first time I went to the big house, it was Desmond Howard's uh, Heisman year. And at the big house, which is the, like, you know, an enormous oval with 115,000 seats or whatever, they do like crazy weird versions of the wave. I'm sure they do this in other places too, but it's a perfect oval. So it's not like in baseball, it's extra stinky because there's whole sections of the stadiums where there's no seats, right? So it like, you get, it's like a broken wave that you have to time out when, when it would be moving through the part of the center field where there's nobody sitting and then fit, you know, on the back end, they pick it up. But in the, it's not like at the big house in most you know college football stadiums, and they do like two waves going in opposite directions that cross, which actually looks kind of cool. They do a really fast wave that goes like, and then there's one section that goes in like slow motion that looks really cool. Like that was the only place I was like, oh okay, there's at least some kind of thought is going into this, some kind of variation is happening here that I could kind of get behind. I still didn't like it. But uh, but I I was more I was sort of uh, I admired it I guess. Well, that's I kind of felt that way about the Seattle because I guess Seattle's where it was invented and I and when they first when Seattle was the only one doing it, it's kind of like it's their thing and and you know right. it's Seattle and they it's it's tough there it's raining all the time go ahead and wave that's fine, uh, but yeah but then when it started catching on but you know the I was in Atlanta at the Olympics in '96 and I was at a um, it was it was a it was beach volleyball, and the two teams that were playing, one was like Brazilian, and one was, uh, I'm not 100% sure, it might have been Argentina. It was somebody, it was a South American country, and basically it was nothing but South Americans, and they started doing the wave in this in the beach volleyball thing, and I thought that was, it was like kind of cool, and then they broke into the Macarena, which, which had just started as a thing. And oh, I'd no. never seen it before in my entire life. And I'm like, what are they doing? And they were all doing the wave and then like the Macarena. And I thought, wow, this is really kind of cool. And I look back on it and that was one of the worst moments of my life. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know it at the time, but at the time I thought this is kind of cool. But I didn't realize what I was actually seeing the the start of, of but 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 it does lead to the final question then. How do you feel about the YMCA? Oh, I can't stand it. Oh, it's the worst thing ever. It's, it's worse worse than, than the all. wave. Oh, yeah. The worst thing, the worst musical thing or crowd participation thing in sports is at Yankee Stadium when they play Cotton Eye Joe for no reason. Literally no reason. And everybody sings Cotton Eye Joe. It's the worst. That, that, like, and I'm sure that it's a little bit of like just terrible memories of being in that stadium and having the Yankees win a playoff game that I wanted them to lose. So it's like I have a bad association with it. But it's truly terrible. Second worst is YMCA in any stadium. Any stadium. I, just, and, and Yankee Stadium, by the way, is the worst because the grounds crew guys. <laughs> they stop they in the middle. While they're, while they're smoothing out the field and the grounds crew guys get involved. And it's like, don't, just just <laughs> do your job, guys. I don't need to see you dancing to a disco hit from the 70s. And then after that is the wave. Those are my three least favorite in the world. Cotton Eye Joe, YMCA, and the wave in that yeah. order. I don't even know if they do Cotton Eye Joe anymore. I, last time I was in Yankee Stadium, because I they used to do it right after the seventh inning stretch. Um, right. And now I don't even know if they do it. I mean, I think they'll, like, mix it in, but I don't think it's a regular part of the deal. If they do do it in that stadium where everything is is a corporate sponsorship, I'm sure it's, like, Lexus and Us <laughs> Potato Chips present Cotton Eye Joe, and then you have to sit through, like, a long Lexus ad before you get to the stupid song. 
Oh God, why am I? You're making me angry about the Yankees. <laughs> it's December. I shouldn't be angry about the Yankees. A hundred wins next year for the Yankees. I just want to say that a hundred wins. Uh, quick update before we go: the Pacers really uh, putting up a fight here against Golden State. They scored sixty points in the first half. Unfortunately, Golden State put up seventy-nine points in the first half. <laughs> Because Clay Thompson hit eight threes in the first half. Did you just say eight threes is enough to get you in the top 150? Top, top about 150 or 200 <laughs> guys ever, yeah. He did it in the first half. He's the second best shooter on the team. You know, the They're Pacers The Pacers did say today, must win for them. That was that was <laughs> one of the players, I, I think it was Paul George, um, said must win. It's a must win for us. Well, they're they're about three minutes into the third quarter. It's eighty five sixty six Golden State. Paul George has twenty two six and four, and his team is getting killed. <laughs> maybe he meant must win for himself. Maybe he was. Maybe he's going against Steph Curry in some sort of point thing or something. So, yeah, it's not going to end tonight, I don't think. But well, you never know. A lot of a lot of basketball yet to be played. We'll yes, see what happens. Yes, there is. We're not going to stick around for it. So, uh, once again, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me.